The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Our today's scripture reading will be from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. Again, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, what do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can't you make a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also taught them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into the old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the all is good. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so this morning we get to visit a strange and awesome dinner party. So if you can imagine going to a dinner party, I don't know, where would this be? Beverly Hills or something. And uh, a notorious, very wealthy man is throwing the most lavish party he can, um, he can, the most lavish party he can. And so it's, uh, you'd, you'd want to be there. I don't know what the hors d'oeuvres are, and I don't know what they're drinking, but this would be five stars. So not only would it be an incredible party just because of the setting, it would be an incredible party because of who's there. So what you have here is a, is a party where basically it's like a collection of crime bosses and everyone they work with and everyone who works for them. So it's a pretty shady crowd, on, except for one side of the room where all the religious leaders have come to like watch and make sure everything is uh, above board. And so that's awkward. Um, and so you've got these... This, this mess of people over here, you've got these religious leaders over there. By the way, which category would you more easily fall into? I don't know. And, and what makes it strangest of all is the party is for Jesus. It's in, it's in his honor. The super rich crime boss guy is throwing this party for him. What a moment it would be to be there. But not only is it a strange party, there's a strange debate going on throughout the party. And here's what the, de- the debate is about. It's about how we're supposed to view ourselves, how we're supposed to view Jesus, and how we're supposed to view others. How you yourself, 
how you view Jesus and how you view others. Of course, these things are connected. How you view Jesus will very much influence how you view yourself and how you view others. So that's this debate raging in the midst of this party. This is very important um, for two reasons. One is, one of the views espoused here at this party is the most popular view, I think, for how you view yourself, Jesus, and others. It is the most common view. And as we're going to see Jesus say, this most common view on how you view self, Jesus, and others will lead you to hell. It's really important. There's another view Jesus would rather you have that leads to satisfaction, that leads to love. So that's what we want to see. We want to be kind of flies on the wall at this party and, and look at who's there. And then we want to think of these two views on how you view self, Jesus, and others and ask yourself, which view do you have and what should it mean for your life? So let's begin. Scene one, starting in verse 27, Jesus calls a tax collector to follow him. Verse 27, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he, the tax collector, rose and followed Jesus. Now, we should be a little bit surprised because of who it is that Jesus just called to be his disciple. What is Levi's job? Tax collector. So let's just remember If you're a good Israelite citizen, you don't like tax collectors. I mean, I don't even know if Americans like tax collectors. It's not quite the same thing. Uh, If you're an Israelite citizen, you really don't like tax collectors. Here's why. Number one, they're not just taking taxes. They're they're extorting you for money, okay? They're, They're taking more than they need to. They're stealing from you, and guess where all the extra money goes? Into their own pockets. That's how he's throwing this party, They steal from you so they can be rich. Not only that, they do it by working for Rome, the nation that is oppressing you. I I don't know how we could really taste what this would be like. It's as if somebody was stealing your money for ISIS or something like that. It's this this government that has control over you and you've lost your freedom. They're oppressing your people. And so one of your own has betrayed family and culture and religion to work for them so that they can be rich. You do not like this person. I don't like him either. Listen to what commentator Joel Green says about tax collectors. He says, toll toll collectors as a group were despised as snoops. You like snoops? No. Corrupt. You like corrupt? No. And the social equivalent of pimps and informants. Do you like this person? I do not like this person. Who did Jesus just call to be his disciple? a tax collector. It's shocking. Jesus is saying to him, I will include you. I will accept you. I will love you. I will teach you. You're in my crowd. I will use you to perform what I want to do in the world. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He says it to a tax collector. So what's Levi's response? He is, he's pumped. He's excited. The text says he leaves everything, and he's happy about it. He's happy about it, and everything changes. Jesus is his new priority, his new priority. Now we get a surprising lesson about repentance. 
What does it mean to repent? Well, it means to turn, right? You, you turn from the way you were going. It's no good anymore. And you turn to a different way, a better way. You turn from other gods, idols, lords, masters to Jesus. You turn yourself over to Jesus. But look at the picture of Levi's repentance. When we think of repentance, maybe we think of, you know, can't do what's fun that I used to do anymore. I can't sleep in on Sundays anymore. Oh. You know, we think, you think of repentance sometimes as this, oh, I guess. It's, you don't even know what repentance is if that's the way you feel about it. You don't even know. You don't even know. What is, what is the picture of Levi's repentance here? He throws a party in honor of Jesus. He's celebrating. In honor of Jesus, he's never felt more free, more liberated. He's found out what life is all about. He's found the one who loves him. He's so happy to do this. He's celebrating for Jesus. And who's invited to this party that is in honor of Jesus? Well, of course, his friends. (laughs) And what are his friends like? (laughs) Just like him. So here's what's amazing. Levi has this great feast. You see in verse 29, Levi made him a great feast. I mean, feast sounds good enough great feast. So this is, this is awesome. And there's a large company of tax collectors and others, Luke calls them. Tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So just imagine with me what kind of folks are at this party, okay? These are the folks your mama told you not to go out with on Friday nights. These are the bad people. These are the people on the other side of the political spectrum, whatever side you may be on. They're on the other side. Um, these are people you want to stay away from. So here's the big question. Is Jesus going to go to a party like this? Jesus uh, invites the tax collector to be his disciple. Then Levi says, I want to throw you a big party. Will you come? And Jesus, of course, says, no way, man. Not if there's a bunch of tax collectors there. You know I can't be with people like that. It'll, uh, it'll dirty my reputation among the Pharisees. Is that what Jesus says? No, he's happy to go there. And this, again, is shocking. I think we could feel a little bit just eating with somebody. You, you relate with them, you get on their level. But in the na- ancient Near East, first century Palestine, it meant far more to eat with someone. So one scholar says this. Look at, look at what this guy says. Uh, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Bottom line is, for Jesus, going, for, for Jesus to go to this party, he's going to say to everybody there, I'm happy to be your friend. So how do you feel about that? How do the Pharisees feel about that? These are the the religious folks who go to church and who read the Bible. Look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. The Pharisees and their scribes grumble at Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But you hear what they're saying, right? How can you claim to know and follow and love and obey God and care about his law, and also connect and associate with these people who do no such thing. 
That's what they're saying. And there's something to the question. How can you do this? How can you eat with them? But there's a few things I want you to notice right here. Remember, we're talking about, I'm telling you there's a debate in this passage about how you view yourself, how you view Jesus, and how you view others. Think about the Pharisees' mindset regarding those questions right now. Are the Pharisees and scribes okay with eating with tax collectors and sinners? What's your answer? No, 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 they're not. Why? Because they're good and these people are bad and if I eat with them, what becomes of me? I'm bad. So already you see their view of self and others a little bit. What's their view of themselves? I'm good. And what's their view of others? The bad. And in fact, Luke, it's, it's kind of subtle. Remember, when Luke told you who was at the party, he said it was tax collectors and others. When the Pharisees talk about who's at the party, they say it's tax collectors and sinners. And sinner there, hey, listen, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I believe that with all my heart. You know that if you know me. Um, but sinner here is like a, a bumper sticker kind of label on a group of people. The super bad people I'm not a part of. Okay, so when I tell you you're a sinner, you are. <laughs> I love you. And I'm a sinner. I'm sitting in here with you, okay? The way they're using the term is you're a sinner and I'm good. Very different. So this view of themselves, they're good. This view of others, the different, the sinner, they're bad. What's amazing is, what's their view of Jesus? We don't quite see it yet, but you can imply it. So for instance, are the Pharisees and scribes willing to eat with Jesus and his disciples? The answer is yes. So in a couple chapters later, we'll actually see a Pharisee invite Jesus over to dinner. And Jesus goes. He'll eat with sinners and Pharisees. Jesus goes to eat with them. But here's the thing. Are the, Pharise the Pharisees and scribes are shocked that Jesus would eat with the tax collectors. But how do they feel about the idea that Jesus would eat with them? Of course he would eat with me. Of course he would eat with me. Are they amazed that Jesus would eat with them? Of course he would eat with me. So you see their view of themselves. Again, they're good. But what's their view of Jesus? He's good, too. He's good. He's okay. Now, the more and more Jesus claims to be king and everything they need, the more and more they'll want to kill him. <laughs> but at first, he's good. So you see their attitude of a Pharisee, I'm good, I won't eat with the sinner. I would eat with Jesus, he's good too. I don't consider him a sinner, but I'm not surprised that he would eat with me. So what's the view of self, Jesus, and others from the Pharisaical point of view? I'm a good person, Jesus is good, and the others, I don't hang out with them. And that is the most popular view of seeing self, Jesus, and others in the world right now. And it's in some of our hearts. If we're not amazed at Jesus' love for us, shocked, and we think of ourselves as good, according to what? Well, we're gonna see. We're gonna see. I wanna show you the, the Pharisaic view, and I really believe uh, every heart comes with a little Pharisee quadrant automatically. You're born with an inner Pharisee. I think that's why the Gospels... Uh, point this out so often. And it's not just the Pharisees who lived back then. We, we each have an inner Pharisee that we, we need to deal with. I want to show you the Pharisaical view on self, Jesus, and others. Look at Luke 8, 9, 
18.9. I think I have this on an overhead for you. Yeah, Luke 18.9. Jesus is going to tell a parable. But pay careful attention, 18.9. He told this parable to some who, what? Trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is what we call good personism, and it is the most common religious viewpoint in America. I'm a good person. Jesus is telling this parable for people like that. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. How do they treat others? And treated others with contempt. These things go hand in hand. If you think you're good based on something you've done, you've accomplished, the way you feel, good things you did once, if you have this law that you've made that makes you good, you will therefore see others who, have, who don't follow, follow your law as bad. We see it in our political climate. Every Christian knows they should be a Democrat. And that's what makes you compassionate and caring. And therefore, Republican Christians, well, or flip it, flip the script. Every good Christian knows they should be Republican and therefore Democrat Christians, well. You see what you just did? If you treat others with contempt because they don't follow the standard you have invented, you're good. And they're not. Now listen, that's totally different than thinking one point of view on the world is more consistent with being a Christian. We all have to make those choices. This is not saying you, you disagree on an issue or you think it's, it's more godly to, to live a certain way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you get the attitude that you have arrived as righteous because of something and they have it. And if you, here's how you know you're doing it. It's the word contempt. Who do you have contempt for? Who do you go, ugh. Who do, you, who do you do that towards? Check your heart. Politics, orientation, behavior, um, what somebody's like, what somebody looks like. Who, where do you go, ugh? You might be self-righteous. Jesus is telling this story. I, I, I just want to throw out there, did you know it's possible to be self-righteous towards the self-righteous? Because we can get, oh, it's, it's a popular Christian thing to be self-righteous towards the self-righteous. We love this. Oh, the Pharisees. I have contempt towards the Pharisees. Did you just hear this? Jesus ate with the Pharisees too. Anyway, look at this parable. Spending too much time on verse 9. Look at Jesus' parable, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. It's just like our dinner, isn't it? Verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. Oh, listen to how he prays. God, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. How does he know he's good? The first thing is he compares himself to someone else. The next, thing, the next way he knows he's good is look, look at verse 12. What does he do? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So he has, number one, a view towards others. He thinks he's better than they are, so therefore he's good. Number two, he has an incomplete law. Part of it he has invented, or he's just looking at part of God's law, and he thinks, I do those things, therefore I'm good. 
He is self-righteous in the sense that he thinks what he has done is enough to make him good. So now head back with me to our party, verse 31. Jesus wants to correct the Pharisees' view of their self, Jesus, and others. So they have said, how can you eat with these people, right? And they're assuming we're good, Jesus is good, other sinners, gross, contempt. Jesus wants to blow them up. He wants to expose that this view is wrong. So look at verse 31 of chapter 5. Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Really challenging. Jesus is saying, there's people I came for and people I didn't, in a way. People I came for and people I didn't. Who did he come for? I came to call sinners. So what was the word they just used for everybody at the party? Tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus, and they say, how can you eat with them? And Jesus is saying, I came for them. Now, he didn't come to tell them their lifestyle is great and keep it up. He came to call sinners to repentance. Turn to me. So, so here's good news. Here's how you know you're a sinner. You've tasted sin for what it is, and you see that it's ugly. And you're measuring it by God's law and God's standard. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself all the time. Have you done that? Have you always wanted to do that? Have you come anywhere close to that? The answer for me is a resounding no. I'm a sinner. You know you're a sinner if you, if you, if you see how sin is rebellious against a good personal God how it's enslaving, how it's ugly, how you're tired of it. You know you're a sinner if you know you have a debt you cannot pay. God owes you justice. And you're like, I have no hope. What do I do? And Jesus is saying, I came for you. I came for you. And he's saying, turn to me. I'll forgive you, liberate you, include you, and we'll eat together. We'll enjoy one another's company. I came for you. Levi got this, didn't he? Levi got this, and he's so thrilled to throw the party. Who did Jesus not come for? The righteous. Now, he is not saying, hey, Pharisees, you, al you already obey perfectly. You don't even need me to save you. You're so perfect. It's not what he's saying. This is a sarcastic, this is kind of a, hey, you need to think about this. He didn't come for you if you think you're righteous in and of your own law-keeping do you realize how scary this is? Do you think you are good before a holy God because you're better than those people? Do you think you're good before a holy God because you kept some of the commands sometimes and some of the traditions sometimes? Do you think that will work? Jesus is saying, if that's you, you don't know how lost you are. Whoa, be careful. Because in this room, guess which crowd we would tend to be? We tend to be the Pharisees. I want to go back to that parable because I told you that the wrong view of self, Jesus, and others can actually lead you to hell. And I don't want you to think I'm exaggerating. I'm going to take you back to Luke 18 when Jesus finishes that parable. Remember the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee are praying? Look at how the tax collector prays, Luke 18, 13. Now again, Jesus is not blessing the man's lifestyle, okay? 
18.13, but the tax collector standing far off, what's his posture, what's his attitude? He would not even lift his eyes to heaven. I don't even deserve to look to the top of the roof of the room I'm in. And he beats his breast, right? He's feeling it. And what is his prayer, his one prayer? God, I thank you that I'm at least not as bad as the other tax collectors I know. No, here's the thing. There's no other people in the room for this guy. There's no other people and there's no other standard. There's one person in the room and it's God himself. And he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. What's the only thing he's relying on for his righteousness? God's mercy. That's it. God's mercy. He's relying on God's mercy. And look at what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Which man? The tax collector who looked to nothing but God's mercy was the one who was justified and made right with a holy God. And then that horrid phrase at the end of that sentence in verse 14. This man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee who thanks God for his goodness and is better than other people and who has kept some of the law is not justified. He's not right with God. He will go to hell if things don't change. That's what Jesus is saying. So important. Where do you look for your goodness? Where do you look? If you're like, well, I'm better than those people. (laughs) It's a dumpster fire. I kept some of the commands sometimes. We're going to sing a song later called Not In Me. And the whole song is about I look to one place for my righteousness, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Okay. How should we see Jesus then? Uh, Back to our party, our dinner party. How should we see Jesus? The conversation at the party continues. This was a little new for me in my research uh, this week, is that this fasting conversation is probably in the same conversation at uh, at this dinner party. So the Pharisees are not only asking, who do we eat with? They're also asking, how much do we eat? Food is a big part of this. And so look at verse 33. They said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, eat and drink. Now we'll remember that the Pharisees had some very specific traditions about fasting that they expected everyone else to honor. Do you remember our prayer from the Pharisee back in Luke 18? It was Luke 18, 12. What did the guy pray? I'm such a good person, God. And one of the reasons he's a good person is, I fast twice a week. Every Tuesday and Thursday, you can join the Pharisee Fasting Club. And we will not eat. Now listen, Jesus will say, hey, later on, my people will fast. Can it be a good spiritual discipline to fast? Of course, of course. It's recommended. There's examples of it. Is it commanded that you fast a certain amount of time or a certain amount of ways? I, I think there's only one I know of in the Old Testament where a fast is commanded. 
At any rate, does the Bible ever command that you fast twice a week like the Pharisees? Does it ever command that? Never once. So the Pharisees have taken one of their traditions, which could be a good thing with the right heart, and they've said, this is the only way to follow the Lord, and you should do this. So they're holding others to their own traditions. Jesus doesn't even play with that right now. Look what he says in verse 34. He says this is actually way more about than, than just about fasting. Verse 34, Jesus says to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Did anybody expect that? I expected like a comment on uh, the Old Testament and fasting or Jesus saying, hey, this is how I think you should fast. Or maybe Jesus could even pull it out like, bro, I fasted for 40 days. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't even talk about fasting. He mentions twice the idea of a, did you see it? Can, the, can you make wedding guests fast while the who? Bridegroom is with them. Remember I said we're looking at a debate on self, how you view self, Jesus, and others. What did Jesus just call himself? The bridegroom. What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, you know what a groom is at a wedding, but what's it mean to be the groom? <laughs> if you ask me a question on fasting, I'm like, well, the groom. And you mean, help me. You got to know your Old Testament a little bit. And the Pharisees would. For instance, look at Hosea 2, 16 to 20. God's promise to rescue his people, to restore his people. Look at Hosea 2, 16 to 20. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me, what will we call him? My husband. Wow. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. So when God brings his people to himself, what's the illustration God wants to use to give you the feel of what that's like? He is saying to you, I'm like I'm the husband who loves you, comes after you, who takes you to himself, who wants closeness with you, and I give you all that I have, and you're mine, and I'm yours. That's what it's like. Or Isaiah 62, 4 and 5. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, here's your name, folks, you like this? My delight is in her. And your land married for the Lord. Do you even believe this? The Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. As a young man marries a young woman, shows how your sons marry you. That's all these people coming to church. That's what that means. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God shall rejoice over you. Oh, I know we've seen a lot of um, hard marriages in our day. Think of what it should be like. Think of what it should be like. Think of uh, a young lady waiting for the one who loves her, and he loves her truly, and he loves her faithfully, um, and he's coming for her. He's going to bring her to himself. That's what it's like. That's what it's like to meet your God in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has just said, what did he call himself? I'm the bridegroom. 
I'm the one doing that right now. I'm the bridegroom. How does he win his people in the end? How does he win them? Ephesians 5.25, do you remember this one? Ephesians 5.25, husbands, what should we do, husbands? Love your wives. And who is our example for how to do that? As Christ loved the church, and what did he do? When did he do that? On the cross. On the cross. Here is the the groom winning his bride. How beautiful. Who is Jesus? That's what we're that's what we're asking. We're wanting to see how you view self, Jesus, and others. How should you view Jesus? The Pharisees are like, he's good. I guess I could eat with him. He could eat with me. How are we supposed to view Jesus according to Jesus in this story? He's the bridegroom. He's the one come from God to win his people to himself in this atmosphere of love and intimacy and provision and joy and feasting. Jesus is saying, I'm everything. I'm everything to you. I'm everything to my people. Wow. So then Jesus drops another parable. So they're like, hey, why don't you, why don't you fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays like we do? We're good people. <laughs> and Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom. That's why we don't fast. And then Jesus says, let me tell you about things that don't make sense. Did you hear this part? Let me tell you about things that don't make sense. Here's the first thing that doesn't make sense. You don't fast at a wedding feast. Okay? You go to your daughter's wedding, and there's the most expensive cake you could possibly imagine. It's got all the good stuff in it, and they offer you a piece, and you're like, bring me the kale chips. I'm a good person. What do you, what do, you do at a wedding feast? You eat the cake. You, you celebrate. It wouldn't make sense to fast at a wedding feast. Number two, you don't patch an old garment with a piece from a new one. Now, I'm not really into the clothes sewing issue. I can't speak to this from experience, but evidently, back in the day, if you had an old cloth and it's kind of all stretched out already, and you take a new one, which isn't, and you try to patch the old garment with a new one, what's going to happen? The point is, this is Jesus' parable. You guys already know this. His, His crowd would already know this. You don't do that, obviously. It doesn't work, it doesn't fit. You don't feast at a wedding, obviously. You don't patch an old garment with a piece of new, new garment, obviously. Here's another one. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. Why not? Well, new wine is still fermenting and expanding, and if you use an old animal skin, which would hold the wine, that thing is already stretched as much as it's going to stretch. It's old. And so as that new wine ferments and expands, and if you put it in an old wineskin, what's gonna happen? You have a messy kitchen. Okay, it's all gonna spill out. They would know that. It'd be obvious to them. You don't do that. And then Jesus says, and you don't keep drinking the old wine when the new wine has come. These things don't make sense. These things don't fit. What's his point? Why does he give you this four-pronged thing of that wouldn't make sense, you don't do that? Here's what he's saying. When the bridegroom comes, you don't act like you're single. When God's Messiah comes to save you, you don't cling to your self-righteousness 
and your traditions. When Jesus comes, you give him everything. Anything else wouldn't make sense. He's saying to them, look at yourself. You're holding to your goodness and your traditions while I'm here. That doesn't make sense. Levi gets it. What did he do? He left everything and followed Jesus. And the Pharisees are like, well, we, we fast Tuesdays and Thursdays. We don't know about you, Jesus. We're good. You're good. They're bad. Jesus says, you don't make sense. It's going to tear. It's going to break. You don't get it. What is he? Self-righteousness and give everything to me. I'm the bridegroom. That's what he's saying. Do you see how he's trying to correct their view? Look at the Pharisees' view. Self, Jesus, others. Self, I'm good. Jesus, he's He's good. Others, ew, stay away. Levi's getting it, Jesus says. How does he view himself? I'm a sinner. It's easier for him to know he's a sinner because he's a tax collector. He doesn't have any self-righteous games to play. I'm a sinner, but who is Jesus to Levi? He's everything. The bridegroom. Okay, then how does Levi treat others? He invites them to the party. He invites them to the party. Which view do you have when it comes to yourself, Jesus, and others? Do you see yourself before God alone and his law alone, or are you setting up little standards to try to hope you're good? Let's, let's give up on that. If, if you were to... If you were to die tonight, as the old uh, even evangelist would say, and you were to stand before God, and somebody would say, why, why should we let you into heaven? I don't think it's like that, but okay. But this is the test question. What would you rely on? What would you say, here's how I can be right with God? Would you say, well, I'm not like those people. Please, don't say that. Don't hope in that. It will not work. And if you go there and you say that, the angel or whoever's at the gate will be like, yo, you were at church in April and Pastor Matt said to give up on that mess and you didn't listen. <laughs> Do not hope in your own righteousness. Whose righteousness do you look at? The bridegroom who died for his bride. He lived a perfect life. Perfect he died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead to make us right with God, adopted by the Father. See yourself as a sinner. See Jesus as everything. Do you see Jesus as everything? If you're still at the place where, oh, he's a good teacher, he has some good advice for me, don't do that. He's everything. And if he's everything, what's the only thing that makes sense? The only way to respond to him that makes sense? Leave everything and follow him. Now, for Levi, that was practically more simple. He could get up from a desk and walk and actually follow Jesus. If you leave here today and you're like, I want to leave everything and follow Jesus, so you, you get up after lunch and you open your kitchen door and you walk out into the street, I'm leaving everything to follow Jesus. Where is he? <laughs> I'm still walking. A couple hours, you're going to get tired and cold and hungry. What does it mean for you to, to leave everything and follow Jesus? Well, 
Principally, it means to have Jesus as the overwhelming joy and priority in all of your life. So for instance, if you're a parent and you leave everything to follow Jesus, it would not honor Jesus for you to leave your children. What honors Jesus is you now parent your children for Jesus' glory. It's all for him. It it doesn't mean you necessarily leave all your friends. Hey, there was a time in my life I had to quit hanging out with certain people because I was... (laughs) I was following them more than they were being influenced by me. But it doesn't mean you leave relationships. Look at Matthew, Levi's example. Look at his example. What is his picture of repentance? His life becomes a party, but it's not like the parties used to be. It's a party for whose glory? It's in Jesus' honor, and yet who's invited? Everyone's invited. What would it look like for your life to be a hospitable celebration in honor of Jesus where everyone was invited? Think of what that means for your your character, maybe. Generous, kind, loving people. It's in honor of Jesus, so we're we're not moving truth out of the way. We love him. We want to proclaim him, but we're so... um, open and sharing and giving with the world around us. Wouldn't that that look different? It felt like that yesterday, didn't it? We did that yesterday. Make it here, maybe this is a real practical implication. What if you invited everyone in your neighborhood over to your house regularly? What if you moved the barbecue to the front yard? What if you were more deliberately hospitable and spent regular time with folks and they could see in your imperfections, in your good qualities, how you lean on Jesus, how you listen to them, how you include them, right? Table fellowship, Jesus is sitting with them and yet proclaiming to them. What does it mean? I don't know everything it means, but it it looks good, doesn't it? Don't you want to be like this? So who are we going to be, church? How should you see yourself? A sinner. How should you see Jesus? The bridegroom who buys you. How should you see others invited? Because your life is a hospitable party reaction for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fo.com. FOLFCRC.com.